This show is for the sales leader who knows they have a pivotal role in driving outstanding sales results. Getting hired or promoted to manage a sales team is a big accomplishment, but you know you have to work hard to become a great sales leader. You are listening to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Here's your host, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders from around the world, Matt McDarvey. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. I'm Matt McDarby, veteran seller, leader, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders all over the world. I'm really excited to have you join and listen to today's episode. This is one of our interview episodes, and I'd like to introduce you to my very special guest right now. I met our next guest while working at Huthwaite the creators of Spin Selling. Kevin was a VP of sales when I was a rep. He eventually became the CEO of that company. Since then, Kevin has been a chief sales officer at Workflow One, at ShopperTrack. He was a senior VP and head of sales at Grubhub. And today, he's the chief revenue officer for Hotel Engine. So please welcome Kevin Kearns to the show. Welcome, Kevin, to the Divine Comedy of Sales. Hello, Matt. It's great to be here today. Yeah, I'm excited. I, it's, uh, I really enjoy people that I've worked with and that I've known over the years because I inevitably learned something new about them, something that I didn't know. So we're just going to dive in. And my first question for you, so you've got, what, a roughly 25-year or more career as a sales leader. What's the most important lesson that you've learned so far about leading sales teams? You know, that that's an easy question for me, Matt. I think if I reflect back on all of the great sales organizations that we've built over the years, it all comes down to talent density. And that sounds very simple, but it's very difficult to achieve. So for me, talent density is, you know, finding the best possible person at each seat. And when you do that, you really are able to let the team run and the success almost takes care of itself. So my, my advice on, you know, talent density is really spend a lot of time interviewing properly making sure that you get the right candidate. And there's a lot of traps in there, right there. And then I think you have to be also quick to make a move on people that aren't the right person. So so we have um, a mantra here at Hotel Engine, which is, when in doubt, there is no doubt. I think Robert De Niro said that in the movie a while ago, but we've adapted that, right? No one has ever said, wow, I wish I would have taken longer, longer to fire that person, right? And so when you know they're not the right fit, I think if you um, approach radical candor, and talk to people about the issues as they come up, and you make sure there's a, a good communication, then I think it becomes much easier. So the, the key steps are bring in the right people, and bringing in the right people is a rigorous interview process. I could tell you every single person we hire in a sales organization does a case study. Some are more involved than others, but even down to the sales rep level, they are doing a case study before we hire them to a, a small group of people. As it becomes moves up the chain of executives, then we are doing case studies for people that for how they would handle certain situations, what they think about. And you could tell a lot from a case study, right? How much effort they're putting into building it, how they handled different situations. And it's really an excellent, excellent way to approach the hiring. Then in going back to making sure that you have talent density in your organization, I really feel like you need to evaluate everybody and really ask yourself the question, are they the best? at what they do, can they be the best possible person in this role? And if the answer is that they're not, you either need to coach them up, and I think everybody deserves to be coached and developed over time, 
But the truth of the matter is that some people are much more talented than others and some people are much more better fit than others. Just because they're not the right fit for you doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. They're just not the right fit. So to me, those are the biggest things that we have to get right to make sure you have really talent-rich organization. You know, it's interesting. I think about like the the organization you're with now and you're trying to build this kind of a, you know, scale up and make it a high growth kind of a business. So when I hear the answer talent density, I'm like, huh, I'm not, that's kind of surprising. Not knowing you, it's not surprising, but somebody could look at your role and be like, hang on a second. He's a chief revenue officer. He's trying to accelerate revenue, grow a business as fast as it can be grown. And he's talking about talent. I think that might strike people, right? Make sure you get the best possible person in each seat. Does that mean it takes a really long time to hire? No, it doesn't. I think one of the things that you have to commit to, Matt, is make sure that a regular part of every week is on recruiting. And and I've had a long career, as you as you so uh, kindly pointed out. But <laughs> I, I think if I look back and when we've done the best, we've had the team of absolute high achievers. And when when you and I were back at Huthwaite, we had really grown the company exponentially. And and the one thing that the common denominator was we had a really good team across the board. Sure. Everybody was very, very good. And the people that weren't very promising, you know, we we either either gave a lot of coaching to or we we moved on. So but without tailing, you can do nothing bad. Like if you have the best processes in sales and you do a lot of different things to train and develop them, if you don't have the right talent in there, it, none of it works, right? So you that's the biggest building block out of it. Yeah. You know, I I uh, I have a similar conversation with clients and with you know people I run into that operate sales organizations where all the differentiation kind of stems from not what they're selling, but how they're selling it. And eventually they come to the conclusion that their their fortunes rise and fall with talent, right? So, so for everybody listening, right, I think that's partially what informs Kevin's answer right here. He knows firsthand having built a bunch of successful organizations that having the right talent in place is, is critical if you want to be competitively different, right? So Kevin, Kevin, in doing that, that's hard work, having done it myself in a couple of places. You must love it. I can see your expression. For those listening, they can't see the smile on your face as you're talking about talent density and what it means to build a great organization. But what do you love most about leading a sales organization? Because it's not easy. You have to love it to really be fully committed to doing it as well as you've done it. So what is it that you love most about? Well, as I say, I think the army had a motto. It's the toughest job you'll ever love. Right. Right. And and to me, if you think about uh, running a sales organization of any size, it is a very difficult job. You have to be ahead of the curve on almost everything. The general tenure of a sales leader is about 16 months, depending on what you read. And so the key is that you have to be right. You have to pick a few initiatives, do them really well, and you have to find success with those. And so that's a lot of pressure and there's, you know, a lot of challenges that are incumbent upon that. But I really do love that part of it. I love the excitement of it. I love the challenge of making sure that you have all the right pieces in place and making sure that, you know, the organization is set up for success moving ahead. And I think a, an outcropping of that, Matt, is, is to what I really love is watching the people that have been on my team be successful. I remember a number of years ago, we hired a young professional and, and, he was very coachable. He was very customer focused, consultative, inquisitive all the time. And he ended up doing a really exceptional job and setting a bunch of records for our company. And you know that was Matt? No. His initials were Matt McDarby. <laughs> so, but Matt, 
Matt, you as a rep embody a lot of the things that that we really look for in salespeople, which is why you've gone on to have your successful career in both sales, sales leadership, consulting, development, author, but all those things like finding people like that and helping them be successful to me is the the most rewarding thing I can possibly do. You and I have known each other for, gosh, what's it been, 15 years at least. Longer. And yeah. uh, in watching people like you, and there's a number of stories like that, you know, that that really gives me fulfillment. And that feels, makes me feel like as a leader, I'm making a difference. Yeah. You're bringing in the right people. You're making sure they're a good fit. You're developing them over time and you're helping mentor them to be more successful as they move forward. Well, that's very kind of you. I appreciate you uh, referencing me, using me as an example here. I'll just, to flip that around so people know what I experienced. Before I went to work for Huffway, I was a good, I was a slightly better than average rep. But when he dropped me into an environment where there were people that were legitimately interested in my development and wanted me to be successful and knew how to coach not just model what good looked like, but actually knew how to coach and develop people so they could do it. Career trajectory changed dramatically. And so Kevin and you are clearly one of the people that that, uh, made a big impact on me. So I appreciate that. You said a couple of things in there that I want to make sure people, that it sinks in. You said, be ahead of the curve all the time. I used to explain to people, like in the places where I've been uh, basically head of sales, I've told them in so many words, like I'm living in the future. I have to be, I'm not only looking at the pipeline to understand what the outlook look is, but I'm trying to understand what do we have to do to be competitive and successful several quarters down the line next year, a few years down the line. But you said something else, which is really the critical thing. Pick a few key initiatives and do them well. It's tempting to try to do too much in a role as big as yours. But I, what I think what you're saying was zero in on what are the really critical initiatives, the ones that are most closely tied to the organization's success and be great at those. The other stuff kind of right, is secondary. Is that, that essentially what you meant? Yeah, and it, it, a good example of that is, so I recently joined Hotel Engine after a long run at, at Grubhub. And one of the things that I did immediately after evaluating the organization was create, the two things I want to do is one, create accountability and two, make sure that people were doing the right things every day uh, with their cousins. So, for creating accountability, one of the things I love is um, stack ranking. And so we built stack ranks for each position and we rank everybody and we publish it to the entire team so that everyone can see how they stack up. And we don't make it too complicated. We do the double weight on quota attainment. And then we also have two other factors of building the pipeline and closing ratio. So we stack rank everyone depending on their role, and that creates immediate excitement and accountability, but it also creates pressure, right? Like the the people at the bottom, they are not necessarily uh, thrilled to see their name near the bottom, and that's okay. It does create the accountability, and that's really what we're going. It's a tough job, and you know the really good people rise to the top and want to compete for the top, and some of the people maybe that aren't quite as uh, successful or, or won't be quite as successful kind of bristle when they see themselves at the bottom. So accountability is a really big one. The other one was that I noticed, and this is true of a lot of sales organizations, everybody does things differently a little bit, right? And it's okay to have a style, but we do need a kind of a leadership to me is providing a roadmap for everyone to follow and keep them on that path moving ahead. And so one of the things that we did was we talked to the best group of sellers that we had and we said, what do you do every day to be successful? And we we literally used that team to create a playbook. And the playbooks we built were very best practices of what our best people do. We documented it. We backed it up in Salesforce with a, a very distinct process. And so that was the other initiative I took. So I figured if we get 
people really accountable and we get everybody marching in the same direction, doing the same thing. Those are the two big initiatives that that we can handle early on. And the last thing I would say in, in the hallmark, I would if I go back and say, this is the thing that actually helped me be successful over time, it is stick to itiveness. You know, you you only have time to do a few things well and you've got to stick with them. And that's one of the things that I've always believed in that when you put something in place, if you don't stick with it, no one's going to follow it because the next initiative, they're going to say, well, we ignore it for a while and it'll go. No. That that cannot be the case, but too many sales leaders get into that trap. And so I would say that's a key thing. Yeah, you know, I think it's part of that. You referenced the average tenure. If, again, like you said, it depends on whose data you believe. Average tenure for a sales leader today, a chief sales officer is like 16 to 18 months. And I think that's one of the drivers for why we see leaders kind of changing midstream. They're not, they're not sticking to key initiatives. They're sort of like, let's try up, oh, didn't work six months in, let's try a new flavor, right? But you know, you and I both know from our time at Huthwaite many years ago, but you know, as a practical matter, as a leader right. yourself, if you don't see the initiatives through, you, there's no chance of success. You're basically ensuring that the, right? right? For sure. And Matt, the other thing to say is that the prerequisite is those initiatives have to be the right initiatives. So put the time into analyzing the data, understanding what's happening, because the truth of the matter is you have to be right. If you pick a few initiatives, you have to be right. And so the my process when, when I evaluate a sales organization is really dive in deep and understand what's happening at the ground level. And I, one of the lessons that I learned is you've got to triangulate what you're, because your management team will give you a version of the truth of what's happening there, but it's not all the detail. And so one of the things I really like to do is take time. I listened to probably a hundred gong calls when I got here, listen to what our customers were saying, listen to how our, our salespeople executed calls. I created a rep council and I listened to them. What are the biggest challenges? You know, what are, what are the things that, that we face? And then I listened to our management team. And when you triangulate all of that together, you say, okay, now what are our biggest issues? And, and we ended up landing, uh-huh. of course, on um, uh-huh. accountability and, and playbook. But it can be different in any organization. Some people may be, uh, some organizations may yeah. be good at certain things and not good at others. So, so that is the key. It's, it sounds like diagnosis, but you're doing it sort of taking all the data points into account. You know, my favorite uh, saying is prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. That's right. Driving great sales results is hard. Doing it consistently is even harder. There are so many obstacles that can prevent you from becoming the most effective sales leader you can be. Find practical advice you can apply right away by picking up your copy of Matt's book, The Divine Comedy of Sales, at www.divinecomedyofsales.com. So for those listening, maybe you're a frontline leader. You may not be running the whole sales organization, but this is still relevant. Like you've got, you've got data that's relevant to your span of control, your role. And what Kevin is describing is a practice of great sales leaders. And moving from one organization to another, they don't run the same plays over and over and over again. They don't do the same thing every time in every place. They take the time to diagnose and really figure out, well, exactly. what are the right few key initiatives? Because to your point, Kevin, you have to be right. Right. And and so, and you bring up a really good point. I'm giving you the perspective of a, a CRO, but but if you are, I've done it as a sales manager or as a regional manager, and it's the same exact process. Look at your own team and figure out what are the biggest issues and work aggressively to go after those and pick the initiatives that will make the difference. 
And so it's, you know, if you have just, if you're a sales manager and you have 15 or 20 salespeople, you know, you can talk to a group of them, get the thought leaders, understand what's working, what's not, Uh and then listen to the calls and make your own judgments as well. Be impartial, right? Look at the data, understand. So you've said a couple of times in this conversation so far, this is hard, right? This job, anybody doing it or anybody who's seen other people doing it, no, they're like, yeah, we know it's hard, right? But what, in your opinion, have you found to be the most difficult or the most challenging part of leading a sales organization and maybe tell us a little bit about what you've done, what you've done to address it. Yeah. Yeah. The, I think earlier in my career, I relied on probably limited data points and consensus as to, you know, what the challenges were and what was really going on in the field. And and one of the things that I learned, which is the biggest challenge, is really take the time, find the time to understand the details. As you move up in a sales leadership capacity, it is very easy to look at macro trends, to look at your dashboards, to listen to your leadership team or your key players and and say, all right, I understand the issues. The fact of the matter is, the thing I learned is get down to the grassroots level, listen to customer calls, make your own evaluations. And, And again, it's all about triangulating different pieces of information. And I think if you do that, you really have a solid idea of what's happening out there. I think way too often sales leaders just are under the wrong impression of what's actually happening. And I learned this from, frankly, a couple of mentors of mine, but they always said, you know, dive in deep and understand the details. And again, that's really hard because the sales leader job takes a ton of effort and there's a lot of moving pieces. But if you don't take the time to understand the details, then you could be way off on your diagnosis, right? And that's that's a real challenge. And I think it's I think it's a trap that many sales leaders fall in every day. Yeah. Now there's two parts to that. The one you were just talking about, which is going deep enough. But there's another part which is finding the time to. So it's a, a huge, it's a universal complaint of everybody in a sales leadership role, whether you're a frontline or all the way up to the CRO. So I don't have enough time to go deep. I know what I should be doing, but I can't find the time to do it or I can't get access to what I need in the time that's available, right? I think that's a, a really, really intuitive point. And, and the, I, I hear that for everybody. I even feel that sometimes. So I think the, the advice I would give is ruthlessly guard your calendar and that of your team. And what I mean by that is I have made it clear to the team that if there's a meeting without an agenda, without a clear purpose, I will not be in attendance. Um, And I I say that to everybody, like, do not attend meetings just to attend a meeting. If there's no purpose in the meeting, then let's not. The other thing I think is basic organization. Every day I I have a, a cup of coffee and I rewrite my list for the day of what I'm going to do, accomplish that day. And I always pick at least three things that will move the ball forward, offense, not defense. The truth of the matter is most people's to-do lists are defense and just fires and things that are popping up, popping up. But you got to ask yourself at the beginning of every day, what am I going to do today to move the ball forward? And I think that is another trap to be avoided. So if you are, you can spend all day going through Slack, going through email, going through, you know, all your dashboards and all of a sudden your day is over and nothing has really changed. So I, I really challenge everyone listening to, you know, be the owner of your your um, calendar. Be the owner of how you drive it forward. Mm. And and I, the saying I love is yeah. um, drivers, not passengers, right? You've got to be a driver if you're going to be successful. You cannot be a yeah. passenger. You cannot let the events of the day take over your life, right? You have to drive it and you have to be aggressive about that. 
So if you have a, a will to do it, you can do it, but it, it just takes discipline and it takes always challenging, you know, what's taking up your time each day. Yeah. And knowing what's important. You know, it's funny, you can't see it and the people listening can't see it, but at about the nine o'clock position related to my desk is a little card of, it's like a three by fives that a very good friend of mine, one of my best friends in the world gave me, he was at, he went to a meeting at Google years ago and he, you know, I think this was in someone's office and it, it's a white card with orange print. It just says ruthless prioritization. Yes. I keep that on my desk. It's one of the things that I see with all the pictures around ruthless prioritization because it's, it's required. You have to know. And again, implied in that is you have to know what your priorities are and you really have to be ruthless, which is a word you use too, in like setting other things aside. I cannot devote time to these other things. I can only devote time to these critical few. Right. So but without a doubt, without a doubt, man. All right. So let's take a step kind of back up from the details and talk about your career and you've had influencers and you mentioned a mentor. Thinking about your work as a leader, who would you say has had the most influence on your on your work? I was lucky enough to have a mentor early in my career and his name was Greg and he um, he he got involved. I was a young sales professional and he got involved in one of my bigger deals and I asked him to be kind of the executive sponsorship and I took the initiative to do that. We ended up working together on the deal and we wanted, it was one of the largest deals the company had ever sold. And he, you know, took the time to kind of give me coaching and feedback. And at the end of the, the kind of the sales presentation and we were going through the coaching, I said, I asked him, I said, would you be open if I ever have requests for kind of advice and things like that? Would you be open to helping me through that? And he said, man, I would love to do that. I will do that anytime you want. And I think he clearly helped me and he pushed me on a lot of different things. And I, I went to him for advice. And I think a lot of people get lost in the, I can't find a mentor. I don't know who that should be. I think you need to find someone that you respect. And I think you need to ask them directly. And, and I think most people in their hearts want to help other people. And I, I think Matt, if you or me too, if anyone on my team ever came up to me, regardless of what role they said and said, would you mind giving me feedback on some things from time to time? I know you would enthusiastically and I would too say yes. And so I think I think the so to find someone influential in your career, if you haven't found that person yet, my advice would be find someone you respect and ask them. Yeah. Ask them if they wouldn't mind doing it. And I think I think you'll be surprised at the answer. I think you'll almost always get an enthusiastic yes. Yeah. I agree. That's been my experience too. I've got too many to list here. I won't tell you all of mine. You're one of them, obviously, but so many, right? People made an impact on my development. And if you're listening and you're thinking, I don't really have that, I think Kevin's advice is important. Go go get it. Go ask, because the odds are you're going to get a really affirmative answer, right? All right. Last minute or two here, Kevin, I ask a big, purposely open and somewhat vague question to see if there's anything else we can grab from your brain here that people can apply to their roles as sales leaders. And it's, what else? What else do we need to know about leading a sales organization or your experiences? Yeah, I think I've covered on a lot of the the key things. You know, I, I just go back to you. You will not be successful unless you have a great team working with you. And I think, you know, taking the time to do those things to get the foundation set up correctly always leads to success, right? So if you if you go back to what we were talking about before, you know, getting the right people in, making sure that you're taking the time to do the right diagnosis, to get the correct initiatives, 
to organize your day, you know, like I think the the thing I didn't mention is you do need time to think. And when I look at some of the people even on on our team here, I try to schedule a meeting. If I see a, a calendar that is booked every hour and every minute of the day, I go back to them and say, you know what, you need to reevaluate your calendar. You cannot do every day fully stacked. There is no time to think. There's no time to go on offense. And and I would say that the, the thing that that really, I think, sets the excellent leaders apart from the average leaders is that they make the time to be strategic. They have the time to think, and then they put their effort into going on offense versus defense. Uh-huh. And that, to me, is the strongest piece of advice I can give. That really does make a difference in everybody's life. Yeah. Sounds familiar. I have the, a very similar conversation with people. It's like, so where, do, you know, look at your calendar. Where does that critical thinking time happen? Like, and if there isn't, if there aren't windows for that, who do you think is responsible for carving that time out? Nobody's going to do it for you, right? So you have to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kevin, it's been fantastic to have you with me. Like I said at the top, we try, we do our best to try to grab a couple of decades worth of sales leadership wisdom in like a 25-minute conversation. I think you've done an excellent job here kind of sharing some things that people can apply. So in a minute, I'm going to summarize a few of the key ideas, challenge people to think about how it applies to their roles. In the meantime, thank you so much. It was great to have you join me. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Congratulations on all of your accomplishments, and I look forward to talking soon again. Thanks, Kevin. I really enjoyed having Kevin Kearns with me, Chief Revenue Officer at Hotel Engine. Check out Hotel Engine, by the way, cool app and service for controlling travel costs for small and mid-sized businesses. Anyway, he shared a bunch of gems. I'm just going to highlight a few that I think are generally applicable to probably everyone listening to the show. But the very first thing that he said, he's learned about the importance of what he called talent density, essentially making sure you have the best possible person in each seat. You could also maybe look at that as building a deep bench of talent. Now, if you work in a large organization, you know that that can be a kind of an ongoing dynamic and kind of fast moving sort of talent engine or talent system that's running all the time. Smaller companies should also have talent density. Maybe they don't move at such a fast clip. Maybe they don't attract the same caliber or quantity even of candidates. But there's, so there is a version of this, if you're running a small sales team, you can create talent density, but what, what Kevin said was you really have to be focused, not only bring in the right talent, but evaluate regularly if, if they are their best at what they do. And if not, don't hesitate to make a move. He talked about some of the things that he loves about the job and also some of the most common and difficult challenges. First of all, one of the things that he said that he loved most is you really have to be ahead of the curve all the time, right? really focused on not just not what just happened in the past, right? But what needs to happen in the future. He also said to pick a few key initiatives and do them well. For those of you who are currently in sales leadership roles, if you're feeling overwhelmed, I wonder how many key initiatives are you working on right now? Can you count them on less than one hand? <laughs> if it's more than one, it may be too many, right? So pick the few key initiatives the right ones, the ones that most closely tie to the results that you have to deliver for your business and focus on those. We talked about being ruthless in prioritizing, ruthlessly focusing on just the few key initiatives that you need to focus on. 
and what that looks like is saying no to things that aren't those few key initiatives. In being focused on those few key initiatives, we talked also about diagnosis and not only knowing which are the right initiatives to focus on, but making sure that you're looking past the surface level data, not relying on consensus or opinion or supposition or assumptions to drive the decisions that you make. And one of the really important things was uh, that Kevin offered was you've got to find the time to understand the details. That's a problem that I know he's seen. I've seen it far too many times. Leaders that make sort of snap judgments simply because they feel like they don't have the time to go deep enough into the issues and the opportunities that confront the business. So really, you've got to invest the time, meaning carve out time, make time for yourself to think critically, do an effective diagnosis, really understand what's going on in the business, which is hard, right? So much of this job, sales leaders, is hard. It's even harder if you don't carve out time for yourself for that critical thinking and diagnostic time. There's so much more that Kevin shared here, and if I would encourage you, if there's anything that you missed or you want to listen back, uh, really easy, go back to the beginning of the episode. My challenge to you, as it is in, in all of these interview episodes, and for that matter, every episode of the show, is to think about how do I apply what I've just learned here based on what Matt, or in this case, Kevin shared, how does that apply to my role? And how can I take a step, just one little incremental step, that one or 2% of improvement that I can gain you know, this week or today? What action can I take? Is there something that I can start? Is there something that I need to stop or cut out? Is there something that I need to continue or do more of? So that's the challenge. My role and the role that my guests play in every interview is to help you think through the best ways to overcome challenges like the ones we've described today. In our next episode, I'm going to have a conversation with one of the best and most successful sales leaders that I've ever known, someone that I came to know roughly 15 years or more. I've written about him a couple of times. He was featured in the first and the last chapters of my very first book about sales leadership. I won't reveal his name. Maybe you know it because you read the book. You'll have to listen to that episode. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining. This is Matt McDarby, author and host of The Divine Comedy of Sales. Thank you so much for listening today. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.